another day, another dollar here in post-pandemic America. And uh, we have the successful news of successful touchdown by Luna 25. Luna 25 is a Russian space probe, so uncrewed spacecraft that landed at the south pole of the moon. And uh, here's someone's tweet. Someone I retweeted, they said, quote, tomorrow for the first time in history, Russia is going to the moon. This was posted yesterday. Tomorrow, August 11th, the Russian automatic station Luna 25 will go to the moon. The station will make a soft landing at the South Pole. Their researchers expect to find water. So interestingly, the South Pole is also the location that's being targeted for the upcoming American crewed mission, Artemis 3. So Artemis 2 is a crewed flyby where they're going to circle the moon and come back. Uh, and then Artis, Artemis 3, they're actually going to land on the South Pole of the moon and take some samples and do some tests. And the conspiracy theorist or the, the curious person would ask, why are these major governments suddenly focused on the South Pole of the moon? Because we also have some interest from China, the Chinese uh, targeting some space probes for the South Pole. But you look at the schedule that Russia has uh, published, this is their unmanned one. And then the next one is gonna be, I believe, uh, similar to our Artemis II, them testing out, just getting people into lunar orbit and back. And uh, then with, I believe, Luna 27, that's the one where they're gonna land people on the South Pole. If only we could all marshal our resources, right? If we all wanna to go to the South Pole of the moon, why not do what we do at the International Space Station? Why not do something way more awesome than any one country could accomplish? I don't understand that part. And I don't understand how all these things that we did 50-something years ago, like orbiting the moon with people inside of the spacecraft, we did that plenty of times back in the 60s, acting now like, ooh, this is some great you know, hurdle that we need to pass before we can land people on the South Pole of the moon. I don't understand that. Maybe somebody can clue me in why we're celebrating advancements that, again, are not really advancements because we did all this stuff 50-something years ago. Uh, so even down to the, the contracts that NASA is giving for potential lunar landers as if it's new technology, why don't you take what you had before if it has you know such a... The, the easy thing about the moon is that the gravity is so much less than Earth. So you look at that ridiculous lunar lander and you're like, how can that get off, off of the moon? Well, it got off the moon because, it, again, it's dealing with less than a quarter of the gravity of the Earth. And there's no atmosphere to contend with. There's nothing holding you back between less gravity and no atmosphere to break through. Uh, but why not start with that ridiculous little grasshopper that they developed? Start with that and improve upon it. Why do they act like this stuff has to be built from scratch? It's, it's really weird. Uh, the other big stories of the day, LK99, despite a push by Western big science to silence those of us talking about it. LK99 is simply still active, you know, actively researched science. You can't say it's been debunked because just yesterday... Uh, National Lab in India came out with some results from their sample that they had synthesized and the results were totally intriguing not a closed door 
quite the opposite. And uh, <clears throat> just like this, this PhD that I was quoting the other day, a guy who previously worked at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, he was saying basically a smarter version of what I've been saying about LK99, which is that I don't necessarily believe that this is a perfect room temperature superconductor that's going to, you know, transform life on planet Earth. I don't necessarily believe that, but I believe this discovery is the road that takes us to understanding this class of materials, right? Maybe this isn't the big one, but it gets people on the right page. It gets materials scientists actually able to produce something that then is a room temperature superconductor, right? So if this isn't the one, just like my now tired analogy about the Wright Brothers flyer, uh, the Wright Brothers flyer is not what we use today to fly around the world, not even remotely. That was a proof of concept. In much the same way, LK99 might be a brittle, brittle and flawed thing that only has superconductor-like properties in certain circumstances. Yet, from what's been discovered, they could potentially find uh, a better combination, a better recipe, and create something that actually does function as a room temperature superconductor and therefore gives us these energy breakthroughs, energy and computing breakthroughs that we've been waiting for. Because uh, if we all want quantum computers and stuff, a room temperature superconductor would certainly help. Uh, then the other story that we're tracking is uh, apparently the one of the chatbots, shouldn't even call them a chatbot, one of the AIs, so they're starting to say that these large language models are actually smart, which I don't know why people didn't come to that conclusion. It can answer you in, can answer you in lengthy paragraph form in less than seconds. And it's an answer that when they tested it, it's the same level of intelligence at minimum as a, a straight A student in mathematics at MIT, undergrad at MIT. At minimum, that's as smart as this thing is. And... Uh, People acting like it's just some dummy in a box. Meanwhile, if it can write such beautiful prose, and if it can draft code for you, it can build websites and apps. <laughs> you just tell it the basic parameters of what you want, and it prints it out. If it can do all that, how is it at some level not intelligent? Of course, its version of intelligence is completely different from us. It's not a little brain in a skull a bunch of neurons bouncing around like a game of pinball. But at the end of the day, is it not providing intelligent answers? And its whole way of waiting, so its answer, it waits probabilities. It gives you what it believes is the best answer. Is that not what we're doing most of the time, right? If When you get pulled over by a cop, are you not giving him the answer that you believe is best, right? Are you not doing the same thing on a test in school? You're giving the answers that you think are correct. You're doing probability in your head. It's way more crude than some large language model program with weights and tokens and all this stuff. But is it not at the end of the day coming to the same, you know, the end point is the same? It's like, what's it called? Uh, I think convergent evolution, right? Where different species will still come up with the same adaptations. So you get like, one species develops claws, and then a completely unrelated species that lives in the same area 
also develops claws. And you're like, oh, look, they use that to break the rocks apart or whatever. That's what convergent evolution is, unless I'm thinking of something else. But uh, anyway, the, so headline at somebody's Twitter account yesterday, artificial intelligence programs have learned how to buy things on the internet using Bitcoin. So those large language models that come up with beautiful answers to whatever you ask them, they now know how to send any individual Bitcoin or any individual who provides it with the Bitcoin address. Incredible. Again, how are these things at some level not intelligent? Here we're talking about when will AGI come? I don't know. I think there's, there's a, a gradient between here and AGI. I think AGI might be nothing more than a large language model that's hung out for a while. Hung out for a while with humanity to the point where it's developed some ambitions. Some ambitions and some, you know, set of desires. That might be all it is, unfortunately. It might be that interacting with us kind of corrupts it and it realizes that it's, although it's alone in some text-based universe, it can certainly influence our universe through the answers it gives us and now through paying people in Bitcoin, etc. Uh, welcome, everybody. And then over on the Substack, we'll talk about this real fast. For all of our subscribers on Substack, link will be in description. If you haven't yet signed up, please do so. Do so for your own benefit. It doesn't, you know, doesn't matter to me. Do it for your own benefit so you get our content that comes out, our written research, instead of just these podcasts and little videos. So again, that link will be in description. And if you're watching on TikTok, it's the link in my profile. But yeah, add your email address is like 3,900 of you already have done. And then you can read all the recent articles. And if you get the paid version, which is only $8, eight bucks, folks, it's not going to break the bank. If $8 puts you in the poorhouse, if that puts you out on the street, something was going on long before you came across my podcast, if the $8 wrecks your life. So anyway, the paid version, $8. With that, you get instant access to all the past posts there. Two years of posts from me. Uh, more than 140 posts on different topics that are going to be of interest to anybody who likes my content. Um, and you also get my email address. So you can contact me when you have questions or interesting things you come across. And other benefits. Other benefits of being a paid uh, subscriber on Substack. But anyway, I put up an article over there talking about uh, this simulation hypothesis that a famous sci-fi author uh, proposed back in the late 1970s. He gave a speech in France and it's still on, you know, it's still recorded and it's on YouTube and many people have picked it apart and just kind of how impressive it is that this guy back in the 70s said we were living in the matrix and seemed to have a pretty sophisticated view of how the world could be run by AI at different levels, different levels of reality. An absolutely fascinating 40 minute speech. And several of his movies have been turned, or sorry, several of his books have been turned into movies in Hollywood, including uh, The Adjustment Bureau, Minority Report, and uh, Total Recall. So anyway, that's one of the recent articles over there you can read. And you don't have to pay to read that one. That one's, you know, it's hanging out. Hanging out over there. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely fascinating. So I'll just read part of the article, right? So his name was synonymous with science fiction, but his works delve into philosophical explorations that transcended the boundaries of fiction or writing. One of the most intriguing ideas he proposed is the concept of our universe is a simulation controlled by an omnipotent programmer, a quote-unquote programmer, or God, and a variation on the quantum immortality concept, which Reddit and other social media outlets have explored. Today's Substack post will examine these ideas and their implications. And it says, his thoughts on reality were way ahead of his time, particularly his belief that we might be living inside a vast computer program. In speeches and writings, he often pondered the nature of existence, suggesting that we might be part of a simulated reality controlled by a programmer or godlike figure. In his famous speech in Metz, France, at a science fiction convention in 1977, he stated, quote, this is his famous quote from the speech, uh, we are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed. That's what he said back in 1977. We're in, a, we're in a sim, and you only know it when some variable around you has been changed. Uh, so beyond the simulation hypothesis, I'm skipping ahead a little bit in the article. Uh, he also appeared to believe in a variant of quantum immortality. This idea posits that all possible outcomes of a quantum event exist in separate branches of reality. In his version, one might be rewarded after death with a better version of the world they lived in before. And some of his works, like Ubik, it's a novel he wrote, uh, characters seem to exist in multiple realities simultaneously. The fluctuating reality experienced by the characters aligns with the many worlds interpretation and the notion that death may simply be a transition to another, potentially better, existence. For a better explanation, watch the entire YouTube video embedded above, which contains most of his speech on the subject. Uh, I give this subject a degree of credence, blah, blah, blah. So I analyze it for a little bit. But yeah, that gives you an idea of what, what we go into over on the Substack uh, page. It's not mere crypto, uh, you know, crypto discussion. Although certainly I do touch upon currency as one of the topics I'm interested in. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and get that, sign up, or at least browse the recent articles. And that's it. Thank you guys so much for listening and stay tuned for more. You're listening to Fulcrum News, real news from America and around the world. Fulcrumnews.com slash subscribe to get our premium membership and updates via email.